Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I have in the studio with me, she's, well, a jack of all trades, I'd say. Journalist, podcaster, expert on finance <laughs> and budgeting. <laughs> I'd like to welcome Francis Cook. Thank you so much for having me. That's all right. Thanks for coming through. Um, first thing, before we get into all the finance stuff, I just want to know how you got into journalism. Ah, so journalism, um, it's quite funny, actually. I was studying and I was partway through my master's when I realized that I was not being qualified for anything that I actually wanted to do, had an entire freak out, applied for a journalism course the day after submissions had closed, Yep. and then proved my journalistic skills by sweet talking my way through anyway. Wow. <laughs> so I was already getting ready for the skills you need on the job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just kind of jumped in with both feet without really thinking about it too much. Very luckily, loved it. Um, got into radio, never looked back. Mm. Is it one of those things, though, that you have to kind of build up over time? Like, I'd imagine with journalism, you can't just get a job out the gate. You have to do an internship or something beforehand. The hardest thing, I think this applies to a lot of jobs, actually. The hardest thing is the first foot in the door. Yeah. So I was working for free for about six months while I was studying, luckily. So I had, you know, student loans that sort of vaguely keep you afloat. Yeah. Um, but I was interning for TV3 and it was the guy who was the head of the Wellington office for TV3 who then eventually said, look, we don't have any jobs coming up. I'm so sorry, but maybe we can get you one in the radio branch. Would you be keen? And I said, I'm keen for anything. Somebody yeah. please pay me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and then it, it worked out. Um, I was very lucky that people were willing to give me a shot. Sometimes you just have to say I'm a, a safe pair of hands. I am unflappable. You can throw me in the deep end. I will swim. Um, and then you just figure out how to swim as you're going. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the things they teach you like when you're going through journalism school? Uh, media law is a really important one. Ah, right. Yeah. So that's probably, I think a lot of journalism skills you have to learn on the job. Um, but yeah. media law is a huge one. Um, so you need to know what is defamatory. Um, yeah. And also the, the ethics of it. So something might technically be legal, but should you, you know? And Can you give me an example? Um, for example, I did politics for a while and the way you treat a politician who is running the country and managing billions of tax dollars, um, is very different from the way you would treat a member of the public who has maybe gone through a tragedy or something. So you've got this, this wide range of how you would treat people. So for a politician as soon as I'm talking to them and they, I, if I've called up and said, it's Francis Cook from the Herald, yeah, we're on the record. There's, you can't just walk it back and say, oh, you can't quote me on that. No, you knew you were talking to a member of the media. We weren't at the pub. This is important stuff. It's, it's on the record. Right. Whereas if I call a member of the public and I say it's Francis Cook from the Herald, we're not necessarily on the record yet. I'm going to say, do you mind if I interview you about is this okay? And I'm going to walk them through it a bit more. And that's sort of the ethics of it. Of If you're a politician, you're used to working in the media all the time. You know the rules. Don't try and play the victim with me. If you're a member of the public, 
A, you're not managing everyone else's money <laughs> and making the decisions. Yeah. And B, you're not used to this, so I am going to put on the kid gloves and I am going to treat you more carefully. Do politicians still try and pull that card with you, though? All the time. Really? All the time. Yeah. No, it's most politicians get the game, but there is also part of the game that is if they say something stupid, they're going to try to blame someone else, including the journalist. You know, it's <laughs> just... The ongoing game. I would imagine, though, that surely they must clue up to that stuff, but I guess not. Well, part of it is playing to the voters, too. I mean, the politician might know exactly what they're doing. Winston Peters is a classic, Yeah, right? yeah. So he'll be like, you terrible media, you always ask bad questions of me. He loves it. He is wearing this huge grin the whole time. He's in his element. His voters Love it too, but they love it because, you know, Winston's giving the media a kicking and all the rest yeah, of us yeah, are standing yeah. well, that's, there. That's his thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the journalists will be like, are you done yet? Can we talk about things again yet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So when, um, so when you get it, uh, when you first got into journalism and, and stuff, did you just mm. have to find your own uh, kind of stuff to report on? Yeah. So basically... Um, Radio is a little bit different in terms of its hourly bulletins and you have different news stories every single hour. Mm. So it's high pace. Um, so you are often working on things really quickly and it's also really short stories. So there's a lot more breaking news and news as it happens because you're updating people as they go about their day. So Radio was an amazing start in that I just got thrown into big stories because someone had to cover them. It was happening and I was the one who was on deck. What was the first big story you covered? Oh, Do you remember? Uh, yes, very much so. Um, it was three months into being a journalist and I got sent down to the Wairarapa to cover the Carterton balloon disaster. Oh. Where uh, obviously a few people died. Um I was lucky in that there was a more senior journalist there with me. Right. But um, that was speaking of handling people differently, you know, you're going through the community and they're traumatized mm. from just this thing happening. It was an awful, awful disaster, um, a terrible way for people to die. Um, but you're also talking to people who are not just traumatized by it happening, but some of them were friends with the balloon pilot or had gone to school with him, for right. goodness sake. Um, and I actually, I really clearly remember I had one interview with someone who wanted to talk to me. He wanted to talk about the balloon pilot and say, you know, I think he was a great guy. I don't understand how this happened. He took his job really seriously. Um, and so we had a really respectful conversation. Um, I was very careful, but then, um, as soon as I turned off the recorder, I saw him go into another room and start crying mm. and I felt terrible. Um, because they must mess with you psychologically as well. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, the most recent one, I didn't cover this one, but the most recent one was the Christchurch Mosque. Yeah. Um, and I actually, the the way that that was handled differently, when I went down to Carterton, and actually this was the way for all journalists at the time, you just got thrown into these situations mm. and then you try to decompress mm. afterwards. Um, but it does stay with you, and I think it should. I think it should stay with you to a certain extent because you should take this stuff seriously. Mm. These are people's lives, literally, and you should really treat them with respect. Um, but after the the mosque um, attack particularly, there was a real difference in how 
actually all newsrooms in New Zealand handled their journalists. Um, all of my friends who work across different outlets, pretty much all of them got offered counselling. Um, and we've had counsellors coming into the NZME newsroom just sort of having drop-in hours every two months since. Wow. You know, you don't even have to ask for it. It's just there's a counsellor on site for the next two hours. If you need them, go and talk to them. Is there a bit of a camaraderie, though, between all the different journalists and Definitely. reporters? Yeah. Definitely. So you have a strong bond with each other. Yeah. So if there's something major that goes down, you guys all help each other. Totally, totally. Yeah. It's um, it's funny. In the um, When I worked in the press gallery when I did politics, um, we sometimes referred to the public-private partnership, <laughs> which was if you were at an event and your equipment messed up, right, then the other people there would give you their audio. If you oh, missed nice. it, if you had been late or you weren't organized or you didn't diary properly, then no one was going to help you. But if your equipment messed up, they'd give you the audio. Right. Okay. Obviously, being in radio, all I cared about yeah, was the yeah. audio. Is that actually a written agreement or just kind no. of like a verbalized We thing? just laughed about it being yeah. a public-private partnership because <laughs> at the time, the national government was in power yeah, yeah. and rolling out public-private partnerships all over the place. So that was our own. <laughs> I'd imagine there'd be some countries that would not do that. No. Uh, there'd be a lot more cutthroat. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're actually, do you know what I think being a small country in New Zealand, and there's only a certain amount of news outlets, so Everyone swaps between, so there's plenty of people I know who work at, say, TVNZ now, yeah. who when I got to know them as a friend, we were buddies at ZB, you right. know? So everyone moves around, everyone has worked together, might work together in the future. Um, I've had some Aussie journalists come over before, mm. and they just cannot believe how, how respectful. I wouldn't say that people work together with other outlets because we are still competing at the end of the day. Yeah. But I would say that when you are in a media scrum and you're trying to ask questions of someone, people try to be respectful and not talk over each other, which that in itself can be quite rare. Yeah. Is it a different dynamic though? Because with the age of social media mm. and obviously – a lot of people get the news from there now. Yeah. It, I suppose it's a lot harder on like uh, yourself, on the New Zealand Herald and stuff and stuff because um, you'd have to, because you're competing with them now. Mm -hmm. Is it, is it, is it, how's that affected the, um, the atmosphere within the, within the journalism world? As in the, the need to push stuff out on social yeah, media? Yeah. Or yeah. In terms of how you get it out there and do you just use, uh, because you're kind of using social media and competing with it at the same time, aren't you? Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, in terms of the business perspective of it, um, I am aware of how social media sucks up advertising dollars and competes with newsrooms, but it's that's so far out of my concerns that I just am like, someone is paid far more than I am to worry <laughs> about that. I have more pressing issues. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but in terms of how you use social media as a journalist, I mean, I um, have a page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and I use that to communicate with people. It's a, it's a double-edged sword in terms of you can really – talk to people and I value the relationship I have with my listeners and the fact that they can send me questions is wonderful. Mm. Um, 
but I'm also I I personally have a real worry about where social media is going. I think it should be a force for good and it was a force for good, but the way that it is going at the moment, it is twisting democracies. You're going to start me on my soapbox here. That's um, all right. We've got a lot of time. It's fine. <laughs> Um, and it it's it worries me, and I think it needs a lot of regulations so that it can go back to what it was. Because I think at the moment, you have a very small group of people running these social media companies mm. and not worrying about what it's doing to you know a little country like New Zealand. What do they care? Yeah, you know? well, you know, we're in the era of fake news. Yeah, yeah. So um, it is a thing, and it's sometimes. I mean, I go online. And I can look at something and mm. I'm, I can't tell sometimes, I'm like, is this actually a real source or is this somebody just made this up? Because anyone can post anything on online yeah. and, and, and the line is starting to blur so much. Yeah. Yeah. We literally get training in how to spot fake uh, pictures, videos, whatever online and it can still catch you out. Really? You know, like there was, oh, this was a few years ago now, but there was... Um, Floods in Australia and there were reports of bull sharks swimming up roads and things. And there were pictures. Right. But you you had to kind of know where to look because they were actually quite well done. They had actually um, cut out those images of the sharks and then put them into the flooded streets and then sort of tidied up the the color and the pixeling. And, like, they, they'd actually done a really good job at it. Um and some outlets were fooled. Not too many, but some were fooled for a couple of hours and then had to take it down and be a bit embarrassed. And there is there are some people that want to put out fake news for um, their own malicious reasons, um, that hey, they have a barrier to push. There are some people that just want to make money off it. There are some people that just think it's funny to trick other people. Um, and it, I sometimes feel like a bit of a killjoy on it, but I, I take truth and facts really seriously and it worries me it worries me so much well i'm concerned as well because do you know about deep fakes yeah yeah you know i mean it's not that's the next frontier yeah it's not quite there yet yeah but it's almost there i mean i've seen videos online and i'm like man you're going to get to a point where you know somebody's just going to say something that they didn't actually say but on the video it says that they did say it and it's yeah how are you going to be able to decipher truth you know, from that. Yeah. And even, I mean, video is the next frontier and obviously it's election year in New Zealand. Um, And this is the year that a lot of people have said it might hit New Zealand. So you have to keep a real close eye on anything that you don't know the source of or that just sort of pops up on your Facebook. You have to be really careful about being Hey, is that from an outlet I recognize? Is what what is behind this? Because mm. a lot of people are predicting this will be the year that, that that is tried in New Zealand. And you even see, I mean, there's the deep fake videos where they can make it look like um you might have filmed someone saying something and then you put another face over it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that can look surprisingly good. But even at a lower level, there was um videos that are slowed down like 0.5 and then they um, make a politician look drunk because when you slow it down just a fraction, someone sounds like they're slurring and slightly stumbly and acting funny. And so it's even little things like that 
can be faked and make something look like what it's not. Yeah, I did see um, that Jacinda's obviously wanted, mm. trying to make it as transparent as possible mm. in terms of how they um, uh, put all their media across on Facebook. Yeah, the Facebook ad yeah, library. Yeah. yeah. That'll be an interesting one. Yeah. So hopefully the other parties agree to do the same, whether yeah. they will or not. Yeah. <laughs> Cross fingers. You don't know politics. <laughs> <laughs> So now you've got a podcast, yes. Cooking the Books. Yes. Yes. Why don't you talk to me a bit about that and explain what it is because I'm sure there's some people that still don't know what it is. Although I heard that it's one of the um, biggest podcasts in New Zealand. Oh, thank you. I hope. <laughs> I it's... read that somewhere. <laughs> I hope it was true. It's regularly in the top five. The Apple charts change all the time, but it's hit the top quite a lot. So I'm really, really pleased with it. It just started out as... An experiment. I had left the press gallery, I'd left politics, and I was working for the Herald and I was just in need of a project. Mm. And I thought, I need to learn more about money. I'm coming up to a point in my life where it is inexcusable that I am this bad with money. Hey, there are a lot of Kiwis I know that are right. terrible with money. Yeah. <laughs> like terrible, like Super, super bad. It just evaporates. Where does it go? Yeah. I had it a second ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I started the Cooking the Books podcast. I just pitched the bosses and said, look, I've been doing radio for ages. We should be looking at podcasts. I'm listening to personal finance podcasts, but they're all American. They're talking about 401ks yeah. and things, which is their version of a retirement scheme. I actually find a lot of Kiwis listen to American podcasts yeah. as opposed to Kiwi podcasts. It's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's that many around. Like, it's very oversaturated in America. Yeah. But I still feel it hasn't really been tapped into here. New Zealanders are still figuring it out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I tell people what podcasts are, and they're like, what's that? Yeah. Well, one of the big things, so I did Cooking the Books for a while, and I, I now am the podcast production manager for The Herald, so they were obviously pleased with my work. Um, so now I look after all of the podcasts, and one of the first things I did when I came into that role was write a story this is what a podcast is. This yeah. is how you can listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Okay. And that still gets heaps of clicks, you know? Um, so people are still figuring out a little bit what podcasts are, I think, in New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. So why why did you choose finance as opposed to some other subject? Why was it all about budgeting and money? I think I'd just sort of realized how much of being independent in life comes down to money, mm. you know? And we talk a lot about um, people do things that are courageous um, and aren't they brave. Behind that courage is often some level of financial independence, you know? If you have the courage to quit a job without having another one lined up, you must have savings because, oh, yeah, right? Totally. Someone who is properly hand-to-mouth can't walk away. Yeah. You know? Totally. Uh, you know, this person has a courage to leave an abusive relationship. Well, then they have friends who are helping them or they have some sort of resources because you can't always just walk away. Yeah, you yeah. You know? Um, so I got to the point where I realized, you know, often independence means financial independence. Mm. And so I just thought I need to learn about budgeting. I need to learn about investing. I need to figure out home ownership. Um, and so I was extremely lucky that being attached to the Herald, I could call people up and say, it's Francis Cook from the Herald here. Yeah. Um, will you come on my podcast? And these were of often like industry experts um, who at that point 
definitely didn't know what a podcast was, many of them. And they just heard Harold and said, yes. So. Well, to be honest, I've had the same thing. I asked someone to come on a podcast here and they they don't know what it is. They're like, yeah. what's that? What's the format? How does it work? You know? mm. So you have to explain to them how it works. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you've learned from talking to some of these people? Uh, well, I invest in shares now, for starters. Yes, well, I've, I've started that too, yes. <laughs> it's great, right? Yes, it's, it's really good. fun. But I don't think a lot of people know that, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of people are still scared after the crash in the 80s. Yeah. They are terrified of the share market. They've heard horror stories. And what hasn't been communicated well is that all of the regulations have changed. Like that would be very difficult to have happen now. And one of the big things that went wrong, and I did a whole episode on this, was that people were investing in the share market with debt, you know, so they yeah. were putting a mortgage on their house and putting that mortgage money into shares. And that's the big thing is you, you don't dangerous. invest with debt. No. You invest with money that you have. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things that um, the Colonel guys said mm. when they were on is that uh, Kiwis are still very much caught up in residential property. That seems very. to be the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Property and term deposits yeah. are where New Zealanders feel comfortable for the yeah. most part. Um, and I would say the big thing when I started is, because I've always been quite good at advocating for myself and chasing pay rises. Right. And you have to be in the media because you're not going to get just handed one. You have to fight for them. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but I was constantly in that mode of I need to earn more, I keep running out of money. I need to earn more, I keep running out of money. And it was learning how to budget so that you still have the life you want. Yes, because the problem is, and this is the trap that a lot of people fall into, is they get more money mm. and then what they consider necessities yes. um, goes up. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you're not even aware of it. Oh, absolutely. Lifestyle yeah. creep. And it yep. does creep up on you. It's, yep. Everyone wants to think that they are immune to lifestyle creep. None of us are, myself included. And it's just um, one of the best things that I ever started doing was a money diary just for a week. Yep. If you can do it for longer, even better. But if you have a short attention span like I do, a week is fine. <laughs> <laughs> and you write down how much you truly needed something, you right. know, like food, a roof over your head, you mm. know, all that. And then you also write down how happy something made you. And mm. every single bit of money that you spend is accounted for. And every single time I do it, there's something in there that I didn't need or could have addressed that need in a smaller way. Can you give um, me an example? Uh, well, moving to Hamilton. Did you get a lot of crap when you moved here? Because I certainly <laughs> did. Yes, but also who cares? Like if they want to rag on Hamilton, that's fine. Stay away. It'll keep it nice for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, so I moved to Hamilton and I am in the Auckland head office. So were you, before that, were you in Wellington or Auckland? Yeah, so I lived in Wellington. Yeah. Um, and that was, oh, how long was I there? Four years. Because um, I'd been there. Obviously, I moved there for the politics job. Yeah. And I just sort of stayed. stayed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when they asked me to take over and run the podcasting um department they said but you'd need to be in Auckland and I said I would rather not thank you 
Had you lived in Auckland before? Yeah. So yeah. at the beginning of my career, like basically if you go into broadcasting, you're probably going to start in Auckland. Yeah, um, which makes sense. Yeah, it's where the main office is. If you start in newspapers, you often start in smaller towns in New Zealand because that's where the smaller papers are. Ah, right. Um, but in broadcasting, you'll start in Auckland because um, that's where the main office is. That's where there are people who sometimes have time to train you. Uh, um, so I'd lived there for quite a while. And I did. How did you find it? Did you like it? It was good. I I do. I do like Auckland in terms of it has all of the big city conveniences. Right. I think now that I'm in Hamilton most of the time and Auckland two days a week, I get the best of both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of find like if if I want to go to Auckland, it's just there. Yeah. You know, Um, I think the thing I miss most about it is the multicultural aspect of Auckland. You really notice it, I think, once you get outside of Auckland. Because there's so many different cultures within within that city. Yeah. And it is very bubbly and high in energy. Yeah. 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 Well, when I was a, a baby journer, I was in Flatbush, which is South oh, Auckland. Yeah. Yep. So that is epicenter of all things diverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was great. Yeah. It was really, really cool. I enjoyed it. Um, so, but I don't think I could even afford Flatbush these days. I just... Well, it's crazy. I mean, the, yeah. primarily the reason I moved out of Auckland is... is because I wanted to get buy a house, and I knew it wasn't possible yep. up there. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It is cheaper for me being in Hamilton most of the time. So we've we've bought a house here, and I love it. Um, and then when I'm up in Auckland two days a week, because the the traffic between Hamilton and Auckland is insane, I I stay. It's there. only going to get worse too. Right. Yeah. I I really want that train to come in. Yeah. Plug for the train. Yeah. Um, but I'll stay there for the two nights, and I rent a room off one of my friends. Yeah. Um. And it is cheaper for me to own a house here and rent a room there than it would be for me to own a house there. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. Do you try and convince some of your other (laughs) journalist buddies? (laughs) Sometimes. But to be honest, it would be hard for a lot of them. I'm I'm very lucky. I I deliberately designed my career so that I could do this um, because I knew that I wanted to live outside of the main centers. Mm. and be able to have a somewhat more flexible job. For a lot of journalists, you know, say a TV journalist, they they are stuck. They have to be where the studio is. Uh, yeah, yeah of, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm I deliberately aimed for the podcasts and I made the pitch that they should let me do this. And I'd already worked out exactly how it could work. Yeah. Because I knew I wanted to decrease my living costs. So that I could increase the amount of life I could afford to buy back, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I invest more now. I can go on holidays now. I can kind of have everything because I reduced a core cost so much. I think a lot of people think that those media personalities on television are like super, super wealthy. But yes. I've met some of them and I'm like, no, nah, they're not. <laughs> no. <laughs> they're definitely not. But there's this appearance like people like idolize them like, oh. I need that job and I'll be earning ridiculous amounts of money, but I, yeah, it's not the case. Nope. Yeah. I, even in Aussie, I think people would be surprised by how much the average media personality is paid. I think um, America and England obviously have a huge population. Yes. So people yes. like that get paid a lot more. And you do get, to be fair, some of the hosts, um, the the odd superstar will get paid Megabucks. Yeah. Um, but the average person who's working in media and particularly journalists is not paid much. Yeah, it's just this weird 
I don't know why it is. I mean, there's been some like musicians that I've met oh, over yeah. the years that I think you get the appearance that they're very, very wealthy and they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a bit of a reality check. Mm. A lot of smoke and mirrors going on. Yeah, it is. That's why I think one of the problems with Auckland is like if you look at big cities around the world, like say London or New York, mm. you have the ability to commute um, from outside the city to Auckland. Yeah. The problem is for most people, if you want to work in Auckland, you have to live in Auckland. Yes. Which is why I think like a rapid rail system. Totally. I mean, particularly the upper North Island because everything's in close proximity. Yeah. You know? Yeah, where they talk about the Golden Triangle, right? Yeah, Auckland, yeah. Hamilton, Tauranga. Well, you've got 50% of the population. Yeah, Just... there should be. Why Why do we not have really good trains there? I know one of the problems is that we our train system is a bit busted and hard to <laughs> yeah. upgrade because we have really narrow gauge lines, apparently. makes it hard to go fast. Yeah, so you'd have to build a whole new line. Well, this is what Jamie Strange was saying the bullet. I don't know. Like, tax me more. I don't care. Yeah. Well, it's it's come, it's becoming that way anyway. I mean, just in the small time I've been out of Auckland, I've seen a massive change just in terms of traffic congestion. Yeah. Like, it's so much worse. Yeah. So much worse. And, like, I think one of the hardest things for me is because I've adapted to a life where I don't have to deal with traffic anymore, mm -hmm. I think if I had to deal with it again, mm. it would be that much worse than it was before. Yeah. Because you kind of – you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So then when you see a different way of life – and then you have to come back and deal with it. It can be very, very hard to make that adjustment. Do you know, when I'm in Auckland, I can honestly feel um, just the stress level is higher. And mm. it's just because things are, you know, it takes longer to get places. It's more stressful getting places. Um, to be fair, when I'm in Auckland as well, I'm trying to pack in all of my podcast recordings. Um, I have a second podcast that I do now that's also called The Front Page, and that's about current events. Um, so I'm trying to get two podcasts recorded, and I'm trying to get um, all of my meetings in, and there's a lot of people in Auckland who I have to touch base with. But to be honest, I think the biggest thing that I find stressful there is just getting from A to B is so much harder. Mm. And I love that there's so much convenience. You can buy whatever you want in Auckland. All the people are there. You can talk to people and get stuff done face to face. But I think if I was there all the time, I would be stressed out. When I yeah. come back to Hamilton, I'm just like, now I can actually do some work. Yeah, it's a lot more <laughs> relaxed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So tell me about your book. Because yeah. you released this at the end of last year, Tales from a Hot Financial Mess. Yes, Financial yes. Hot Mess. Hot Mess. <laughs> yeah, so I um, I had been doing the podcast for a while and I had been sort of keeping a, a different kind of money diary, a bit of a, a running um, blog of sorts, just private, that was the biggest things I'd learned. Mm. Um Interesting snippets that people had told me when they when I was interviewing experts on the podcast, um, and then I sort of looked at it and I it was about twenty thousand words, sort of about two years in, and I looked at it and thought that could be a book. And I actually think if I interviewed a bunch of experts about all the things that you know your one oh one of what do we need to do? What are the only things I need to do to be financially healthy? You mm. know, I don't need to be rich. I don't need to be able to quit my job and swan off somewhere. I just want to be financially healthy and not stressed. What does yeah. that look like? Mm. Um, and I thought, actually, I know all the people who can tell you that now, and I can combine all of their wonderful knowledge and then, 
put it into normal language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sometimes refer to myself as an expert translator. You know, I'm not That's an expert good, though. myself. That's actually a, a, a good talent to have. <laughs> I've actually had some academics say that they appreciate it too. Because they actually find it really hard. Because like, I was worried they would think I was, like, stealing their work. Obviously, I always give them credit. But I was a bit like, it's your work. I'm just kind of pushing it out there. Um, but they said it. they find it really, really hard mm. to be able to focus on the things that the, – the way that people need them to say it. Not just what you're saying, but to say it in a way that makes sense. Yeah, like even what the colonel guys, when they were on, mm. some of the languages they were using, I was like <laughs> – Okay, I have to really focus on what they're saying here. Yeah, jargon <laughs> slips in. Yeah, yeah. It really and it's does. it's like its own language as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And a lot of these different areas. So so when you construct a book, how do you how do you go about writing it? So do you just oh. brainstorm? Like how do you structure each chapter and Ah, uh, yeah. So uh, with my book, it's a little different because I base so much of it on um, a lot of research um, and academic papers and then interviews um, with experts. So sort of sitting like how you and I are now, mm. but usually on a phone when it's for a book interview um, and just getting them to talk to me person to person gets it into sort of more understandable language to start anyway. Um and then I sort of have all of this stuff and I dump it in a big pile and go, huh, right, how am I going to sift through this and make it all make sense? It must take a long time. Yes. How long did it take you to actually write the book? Um, so I had two years of notes that I structured it on. So I still think that counts because it would have taken me longer if I hadn't done those. Two years of notes? Yeah. And then another year to whip it into shape. Wow. Okay. So that's quite a while. Took It took a while. I didn't realize that writing a book would take that long but I suppose that makes sense actually <laughs> well to be fair as well if it was the only thing I was doing it might have taken less time oh yeah of course but yeah. it was fitting it around my job as well yeah yeah, yeah. and my job were great they were so supportive um but they did say to me you are more than welcome to do a book that would be great um but you must not do it on work time and I thought well that's fair well, yeah, that's, <laughs> well, that's fair. Yeah. yeah so you'd come home <laughs> The yeah. thing is, if you'd, like, you'd, you'd be um, commuting via train or whatever to Auckland, yeah. you could have done some of that on the train. Right? Yes. A again, plug for the trains, because trains are so much better than buses. Trains, you don't get car sick or whatever. They're fine. Yeah. And I find it's such a productivity hack. Lock yourself in a metal tube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, I imagine you've been overseas quite a bit. Yeah. And you, you get the sense that our public transport is a bit backwards compared yes. to even third world countries. Oh, honestly, it's crazy sometimes. Yeah. Like because a lot of the um, the less well-off countries, they have investment from China, and China's putting in trains and things for them because China sees it as an investment. They'll keep getting the the cash from people using it. Yeah. Um, and yet we just kind of don't get that because we're a little worried about the strings attached. Which, I mean, which, fair enough. Which is fair. Yeah. But, but also, it's I do miss good trains and things. Yeah, you really notice it once you go overseas. I mean, yeah. even if you go to Australia, like Sydney yeah. or Melbourne, totally. and just come back here and it's like, oh, even our biggest city has a problem with trains. I remember when I was there, how often trains would break down, you know? Yeah. Like I, I used to commute via bus, but then people catching trains that have to be late to work, mm -hmm. you know, because a train would, would break down. It's like, why? Yeah. Why does this happen? And we don't even have a train from the CBD to um, Auckland Airport. Yeah. Ridiculous, right? I think we're like one of the only, well, one, Auckland's one of the only major cities that doesn't have that. Surely. 
Yeah, there's very few others that I know of. Yeah. Um, I'm really lucky for the the Herald. You mentioned travel. I'm really lucky in that our travel team um, sometimes has trips that they need to send someone on to review something, um, but they can't fill it all. So as a Herald journalist, you get to go on travel um, expeditions sometimes. Oh, right. Um, and so you get to see this. And i got to say, every time I've been on one of those trips, I've just taken the train or bus or whatever. It's been so easy. Hmm. Um, and you come back home and you're a bit like, it's so nice to be home, but also... <laughs> I do wish. <laughs> I mean, you get to, you obviously meet a lot of different people, and I suppose mm. you've met a lot of politicians over the years. Do you yeah. ever just try and sneak that in there? Be like, hey, come on. <laughs> I do with the train, actually. Yeah. The Hamilton Auckland train, I do. I'm yeah. um, absolutely shameless about it, um, especially with the, the Hamilton politicians. If I bump into them, I'm like, how's the train? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When's that coming? <laughs> well, some, some, because some are for it and some against it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a political, political mess. I just want it to happen. But even this train that's starting in June, I think it is. Mm. Is it June? Yeah. yeah last I heard. Yeah. yeah. It's still going to be a bit of a um, mission because you get off at, um, is it Papakura you get off? Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to catch you another. To switch because it's diesel lines until Papakura yeah. and then changes to electric, yeah. which is a bit of a pest. I'm, do you know what I'm really hoping for is um, when they started the Pukekohe line? Yeah. Um, that was a, very much a trial. It was just a couple of trains in rush hour times. And now it is every 15 minutes. It's so quick. They're talking about increasing the electrification. People have massively loved it okay, to the well, point good. where it's worth investing in. Yeah. So I'm really hoping the Hamilton train does the same thing. Did you um, electrify the whole thing? Did you catch the train much when you were in Wellington? Did you live outside? No. Well, I pretty much always walk to work. Um, it's the great thing about Wellington. So eh? good. It's like yeah. a very walkable city. Just the, the CBD, the way it's constructed is just so much better than Auckland's. Oh, like it's totally. just very easy to get around. Yeah. 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 And it's really, <laughs> my, um, when we were looking at a place to live there, um, I said to my husband, I must be within walking distance to work. That's yeah. really important to me. And then we were there about a year and then I left the politics job. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, thanks, babe. Yeah. yeah. We organized our whole living situation around you walking to work. Now what? <laughs> the, um, the other office was much further away. But yeah. Because I think they have trains that go as far as like Palmerston North, I think, in terms of people commuting. Ooh, I, uh, they definitely have ones to Wairapa. I don't know about Palmerston North. I've never um, taken the train there, but maybe. Yeah. But they have, I know a lot of people who commute from the Wairapa. Um, and like really like fancy, you know, white collar jobs and they love it and manage to make it work for these very important jobs. Well, as the world becomes more and more digital, yeah, like people will have more and more flexibility totally. in terms of how they work, you know, off a laptop or whatever. So yeah. you don't necessarily always need to be on the off, um, in the office yeah. or you can do some work on the way to the office and then yeah. get everything done yeah. while you're, while you're there. I get more work done in terms of, um, often, you'll know this, often the biggest part of getting a podcast up is not the recording. It's um, particularly for mine because I need to make sure everything is sorted and checked first. It's the producing aspect. Mm. So it's finding the guest. It's vetting the topic. It's setting up a good question line. It's making sure everything is ready to go ahead of time. Yeah. And so I do all that from Hamilton because 
I cannot focus to get it done when I'm in Auckland. Which, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm so much more productive in terms of that stuff so when they I'm give you, out of the office. Do they give you full 100% overview of everything? Like you don't need to, you don't have someone in your ear or somebody Oh, there's watch. always, everyone has a boss. <laughs> but is, is, he, is, is the boss always there? Like just looking over your shoulder? Like, uh, in terms you, of my podcast? Yeah, because I'd imagine with some of those Media personalities on, like, you know, the AM show or, you know, the project or something. They might be, they might have a little earpiece. A producer. Like, yeah, yeah, it might be like, hurry up, hurry up. Yeah. So they, yeah, they have a producer. Um, and then that producer will report to um, often the head of news or the head of programming. Right. Um, but it's on a day to day basis for those sorts of people. It would be producer and hosts would sort out the show. Mm. Um, for me in podcasts, I am my own producer. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, and when I started cooking the books, it was just me. So I was setting up the entire um interview and writing my editorial and then I would also record it and then I would also cut the audio. Um, it was everything. Um, I'm really lucky now in terms of I get um, a bit more support. So I've got um, an audio producer and a video producer because we also video record it now. And so they, when I'm interviewing, I can focus just on the interview. Yeah, um, yeah. They are running all the doohickeys in the background. That takes away so much stress. So much. Yeah. I can do one thing instead of three. Yeah. So I think the interviews have improved. Yeah. So how, <laughs> how long, because you know how you do an interview. Because mm. um, what, the podcasts are about, what, 15, 20 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, but do you, do you sometimes up to 30, but that's only because I have no self-control. Really? <laughs> I'm not supposed to go up to 30. <laughs> You don't get told off for that, do you? I haven't been told off yet. I'm okay. working – so much of my career, I work on um, ask for forgiveness, not permission. And usually <laughs> oh, I love it. Usually it works. I've already had to ask for forgiveness uh, a few times. I'm going to use that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so going to use that. But uh, so, like, when you, when you have a guest on, mm. how long do you usually talk? Like, because when you cut the audio, mm. do you use all of the audio or do you condense yeah. it down? Pretty much my interviews are as live. Um, wow. Okay, that's good. That's yeah. Good. And I always tell people if, if you really mess – because some of them – Sometimes I have people who are on who are just your regular Joe Blow who is talking to me about their quest for financial independence, mm. say. And so, again, this is that thing of, of treating people slightly differently based on their experience, right? Yeah, if it's yeah. a, a media commentator whose job is to talk to me about um, debt repayment methods, then we're just going to go for it and they're going to be fine. Yeah. But for an average person to come on a national mainstream media outlet and talk about their money that is confronting for them that's really hard for them and so I want to make them feel comfortable as much as possible and so the rule is if you say something that you deeply regret tell me I'll ask the question again and you can answer it differently mm. and then it's easy to edit but people just knowing that they have that option means they don't need it they just relax and so yeah yeah I pretty much never have to edit the interview itself. Yeah. That pretty much never happens. Um, but I do have, so I record an editorial that kind of introduces the podcast. Right. And then they do some fancy, pretty graphics and then the interview itself. Yeah. Which is a very light edit, but still takes longer than you would think. Really? Yeah. I'm very glad that I don't have to do it. They they do very pretty, nice graphics. And I, I can't do video editing. I can do audio editing. Video is a mystery to me. 
Really? Yeah.、Mm. Which is bad because video is the future of pretty much all media. <laughs> yeah. Do they have like an, an internal editor or do, do they use like Premiere or Final Cut or? Yeah, yeah. So we have a, a video team. Um, fluctuates how many people are on it as、yeah. ever.、Um, but there's particularly、um, one video guy who I work with a lot. Yeah. And he is amazing. Do you watch what he does and, and you're just like, <sighs> no, but I buy him coffees. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, just, I literally just come in and I'm like, here is caffeine. Thank you for making me not look stupid. <laughs> and think, he's great. Do you think you'll、um, learn it at some point, though? I need to at some point. The problem is, if you're not doing it every day, they change the equipment they're using, they change the software they're using.、Oh. So to do it to the standard that the Herald expects, you pretty much have to be a specialist. But I suppose you could learn on like some other program just so you have a basic knowledge, I guess.、Uh, yeah, I, I know I have a basic knowledge of what they want. So、right. I know how to present for video、yeah. to make their lives easy. Okay. And then in terms of like, I have friends at TVNZ who they might do a rough cut of their video. You、yeah. know, they, they'll be like, this is the bit of the interview that we want to put. In、oh, like、the a story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so they will pull out those pieces, and I could do like that much.、Mm. Um, but in terms of putting it together and making it look good, always, always has to be a specialist because otherwise it just can look rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But then do, you get fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but、um, so the snippets that, that are on like the Herald or. Mm. Not the premium Herald, but the standard Herald or on Twitter or on Instagram.、Yeah. You do those or just?、Um, my video has always been paywalled. So we only started doing video when Herald Premium came in. I'm sure I've seen small little snippets somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah, like maybe a minute long. Well, that was done without my knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> so I did not know. <laughs>、um, but yeah, so for the most part, my video stays behind the paywall、yeah. always. Under no、mm. circumstance. Okay,、Pretty、so、much. someone's done something they shouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> Don't dub them in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry if I get you in trouble. <laughs> okay. Cool. Hey, thank you. This has been great. Was there anything else you wanted to cover? Because I was thinking of like wrapping up here. That's good with me.、Yeah. If you're happy, I'm happy. Yeah, no, this has been a good talk and I've,、um, I've learned a lot. Well, thank you. So if anyone wants to follow、um, your podcast、yeah. or buy your book, Yeah. What's the best place to do it?、Uh, well, you can find my book at all good book outlets.、Um, <laughs> so, The Warehouse, Wit Calls, Paper Plus, all that. How many pages is it?、Uh, ooh, it was like, I think, 270. Okay. So, it's, it's, I tried to keep it it's small. It's a decent size. Yeah. And not I, too small, not too big. Yeah. And there's lots of stories in there of me messing up money. So, I promise you, even if you usually find money talk boring, you can read it just to laugh at me.、Mm. That's fine. I、yep. will allow that.、Um, and if you want to stay up to date, With me on social media, I'm pretty much everywhere. So it's Francis Cook Journalist on Facebook, Francis Cook on Twitter, and Francis Cook NZ on Instagram. Easy to follow.、Yeah. What's the one you use the most?、Uh, I'm a little bit of an Instagram addict at the moment. Yeah.、Um, I do try to give all of them love because it's really funny.、Um, different. Types of people like to follow you different ways. So, yeah, yeah. Right? It's funny that, right? So, Facebook is、um, my slightly older audience. Instagram is my slightly younger audience. And then Twitter, I feel like that's just industry networking. Is anyone other than journalists and politicians on Twitter? I don't think so. Well, I think a lot of the, yeah, most of the politicians 
and journalist people I think are use Twitter as their yeah. main form. Maybe because they don't you don't have to be as personal or it's not as personal. I mean, and it's tw- quite a sarcastic medium. It's quite oh, fun. Oh yeah, I mean it's it can be pretty <laughs> negative at times to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Well that's why normal people aren't there. So yeah. much better things to do with your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't really use Twitter much. Yeah. I really don't use it. It's mainly Facebook and Instagram. And then I use LinkedIn as well. Depending, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Depending if I'm um uh, you know, marketing something that's more aimed towards business people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get told that I should use LinkedIn. I just, I don't want to add another one. <laughs> well, I, I I cater, like, in terms of my marketing of, of a guest, I, I base it on the, the guest themselves. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As that's to where I market. Like, if I have a musician on, I'm not going to be posting it on LinkedIn. Right. Know? Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so it just depends. But... Obviously, my marketing is probably no way near as good as your marketing team. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a marketing team, to be honest. It's hilarious. Um, A lot of people think that my podcast has way more resources than it does. I remember right at the beginning, someone sent me a a note being like, awesome work, Francis and team. And I was like, this is Francis and team. (laughs) It's just Francis. Well, that's that's good, though. (laughs) And I've never had a single bit of marketing for cooking the books. But the most powerful thing in my arsenal is it's been on the front page of the Herald website. And well, so yeah, it's it's that's ultimate marketing. To be honest, the, what's the biggest media outlet? Is it is it is it stuff for the Herald? Is it the Herald? <laughs> I'm going to say it's the Herald. I'm biased. You can't answer that. <laughs> that's really hard. I don't want to upset anyone. <laughs> we'll say the Herald. We'll say the Herald. Okay. <laughs> but what what I mean what I mean to say is that that like just being on the Herald alone, like yeah. Gives it heaps and heaps of exposure. Yeah, 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 and I'm really lucky in that the bosses gave me so much free reign to just do what I wanted with it for a mm. while. And I, I actually, because I talk about career a bit sometimes on Cooking the Books as well. Um, and I always say, I know that change is scary. Um, and when you feel like your job is changing constantly, I mean, I hear you on that. <laughs> That's happening in media all the time. Yeah. When I when I graduated, and it wasn't that long ago, um, they were like, print newspapers are everything. And now it's everyone is expected to be able to write well, to do radio interviews and have at least a working knowledge of audio. Everyone should be comfortable with video. Everyone does everything now. And that is just in the last few years. Um, do you ever go to journalism schools or anything and give like talks? No, I've never been asked. <laughs> but if you did get asked, you'd go? Um, yeah, I would actually. I have a real soft spot for new journalists. I do have um, new journalists coming through message me sometimes mm. saying, um, can you help me get a job? And I don't have that kind of power. I wish I did because, well, this is why I don't have that kind of power. I would just give everyone a job and yeah. then the company would be broke. Um, but <laughs> I do like try really hard to help them um, see the way the industry is going and what sort of skills they need to focus on. And here are some people who might be able to get you a job. Here is their emails. My bosses probably ha- hate me because I give out their emails like candy. Um, but I, where was I going with this? What were we starting talking with at the beginning? Oh, yeah. When you are trying out new things, mm. there's a grace period where you nobody knows what they're doing and you can just try a bunch of stuff. You can just throw stuff at the walls, see what sticks. Yeah. And I think if I started cooking the books now with the, the way the Herald has gone, um, there'd be much more pressure on it from the beginning to get high numbers, um, oh, lots of people listening, right. to have really high quality audio from the beginning. Um, whereas I listen back to it and the first few episodes, I'm 
they do not reach my current standards. <laughs> I would oh, hey, I, better. I hear you. Like, right? I, I go back and listen to my first podcast and I'm like, I think I was still trying to figure it out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And, Figuring and, out your style. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't really used to hearing myself as well. So yeah. it was like, Ugh. It's weird like hearing that. yourself as you talk, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's a matter of getting used to it. But over time, I mean, I've I had a few people tell me, like, oh, yeah, you, you've, you've changed a lot from like your very first one. Yeah. You just have to do it. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's the only way you get better. Out. Sometimes yeah. you have to do it, particularly in anything that involves like media, I reckon. Yeah. Um, you know, they can teach you all this stuff in schools, but I think you have to do it. Totally. To really get, like whether it's journalism or music or yeah. um, radio or anything, you get yeah. better the more you do it. They say, what is it? They say you have to do something 10,000 10, hours or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be um, uh, proficient at it. Yeah. 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 And that's it's, it's really interesting because. Um, I mean, a lot of journalism is really quick, right? So you don't always have time to craft things the way you want to. But I'm lucky now that I've come to a stage in my career that I have a a bit more breathing space and some of the people I work with a bit more. Um, once you get the higher levels of journalism, the bosses will back off a little and you oh, get a right. bit more time to to craft and to make something beautiful. And sometimes people will say, you know, how do you get better at writing? And how do you learn how to really craft an engaging, interesting story? Um, and you kind of just have to do it. Mm. You kind of just have to write it and pick yourself apart and be your own harshest critic and then do it all over again, you know? Yeah, so you're very, very hard on yourself in terms oh, of... massively. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. I think that's like any type of creative person. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Because sometimes other people want to make you feel better. And they'll be like, no, that was really cool. Yeah. And like, uh, like my partners be like, that was really good. And I'm like, nah, it sucked. Yeah. yeah, yeah right? Yeah. yeah like, I can do that better. Yeah. I'm not sure how yet, but I'll figure it out. Yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah. Cool. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I, we have to do this again. Yeah. I'm keen to do this again. Totally, anytime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, everyone, um, that's the show. Uh, make sure you follow Francis on all outlets. Check out her podcast on the New Zealand Herald. It's on iHeartRadio and Apple. And yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Cooking the Books and the front page if you're interested in current events as well. Um, so that's Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and all the others. Yeah. Cool. That's the show, guys. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until next time, stay safe. 